Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 57. So the International Chamber of Commerce in Paris is the one who defines the roles, responsibilities and liabilities of all the parties under a letter of credit. From my perspective, it's a very significant product for international trade. Historically, I mean, it offers one of the most secure ways for buyers and sellers around the globe to transact and sales. The craziest SBLC I issued was a number of years ago. I issued an LC that was asking the wife to stay in the marriage. The husband issued it in favor of his wife to induce her to stay married to him. My name is Dipesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. Today, we're taking a deep dive into non-structured, unfunded trade finance products some of the essential tools which focus on providing credit to participants in cross-border trade transactions. You guessed it, we're talking about letters of credit, or LCs for short. An LC is a payment undertaking which a financial institution issues on behalf of a buyer. There are many different types, and today we'll get an overview of commercial letters of credit before taking a deep dive into standby letters of credit, or SBLCs for short. I'm here today with three global experts and industry leaders in less of credit. And in this podcast, we're delighted to be showcasing BAF's Letter of Credit Committee and Guarantee Committees. Today, we're joined by Stacey Factor, Senior Vice President of Trade Products at BAF, Christine Siebel, VP Trade Commodity Finance Operations at Society General and Chair of the Standby Letter of Credit Committee and Guarantee Committee at BAFT, and Norman Gerard, Director of Global Operations at BMO and Chair of the Commercial Letters of Credit Committee at BAFT. Hello all, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Hello. Hello. So introductions in no more than 30 seconds or so, who are you, where are you from, and what do you do? Stacey, I'm going to hand over to you to start. Stacey Factor, I'm the Senior Vice President at BAFT. I've been here now close to eight years, representing the trade finance industry in advocacy, education, and bringing the community together. I guess that's it. Stacey, as always, great to have you again. Chris, over to you. Hi, I'm Chris Siebel. I'm at Societe Generale, and I also chair for BAF, the Standby Letter Credit and Guarantee Committee. I've been in the Standby Letter Credit field for over 30 years, and I've been a member of the committee since it was begun in 1994, uh, and been chair for now I probably about seven or eight years, and I thoroughly enjoy a letter credit discussion, and I'm looking forward to this. Thank you very much, Chris. Incredible to have you on board with so much expertise in this industry and sector. Norman, over to you. My name is Norman Gerard, and I'm Director of Global Trade Operation at BMO. I've been uh, in trade finance at BMO for 31 years. I manage the uh, entire suite of finance products for the bank. I have been with BAF chairing first the Southeast Committee, in 2011 to 2017, and then I took over the National Commercial Letter of Credit 
committee as chair. I'm glad to be here today. Thanks, Normand. And, and we'll start off with you. What are the main activities then of BAP's Commercial Letter of Credit Committee? So the main activities, we meet on a monthly basis. We have a standard agenda where we provide uh, some of the BAP updates. And we also provide uh, the latest ICC updates, ICC opinions that have been approved by the International Chamber of Commerce or any of the work that they are uh, doing uh, internally, some of the work groups that they've created. And then we dive into the subcommittee updates. So for the commercial committees, we have uh, three main subcommittee, one in the West Coast, one is Central and one in the Southeast. And they share with us some of the uh, items that were discussed during their meetings. Since last year, we have added another uh, topic to our standing agenda, which is the uh, issues and challenges in the industry related to the pandemic. We talk about collections and also we have uh, a section which is uh, Ask the Expert, where anyone within the committee, subcommittees, can provide uh, an Ask the Expert question, you know, requiring guidance. And then we have an open forum. So that is the main agenda items that we go through every month. But we also have uh, planning committees to organize some of the workshops that uh, BAF organize every year. I mean, they've been virtual since the last year. So we participate to create a material, to gather agendas and speakers, and to conduct and deliver the workshops. Thanks very much, Norman. And I know your team were very busy in last month's BAF Trade Finance Workshop. So now I'm going to ask you as the expert, and, and I guess just taking a bit of a step back, what is a letter of credit and where does it sit within documentary trade and trade finance as a whole? Sure. So letters of credit for a commercial letter of credit, they also refer to as a documentary credit. And basically, it's a written undertaking by a bank, which is the issuing bank who will issue that letter of credit. And it is given to the beneficiary, who is the seller, at the request and in accordance with the instructions of the applicant being the buyer. And basically, it is to effect payment up to a stated sum of money within a prescribed time limit and against stipulated documents. Thanks very much. And Stacey, what role do letters of credit play in international trade? Well, before I answer your question, I need to just let you know that the two people who just spoke forgot to tell you that they have both been ambassadors of the years at BAF for the work that they do, unending work that they do. So thank you to Chris and to Normand. Let's not forget that. From my perspective, it's a very significant product for international trade. Historically, I mean, it offers one of the most secure ways for buyers and sellers around the globe to transact and sales. And when they don't know each other well and can't evaluate the ability or willingness for the cross-border buyers in a specific country to pay or not to pay, it is a significant and increasingly and very well-respected, secure way to get paid. Thanks, Stacey. And Norman, back over to you. And I guess touching on what we were talking about earlier, who governs the rules around letters of credit? So the International Chamber of Commerce in Paris is the one who defines the roles, responsibilities and liabilities of all the parties under a letter of credit. And banks all around the world adhere to that set of rules established by the uh, Chamber of Commerce. 
The uniform custom and practice for documentary credit rules are updated periodically, and that is to reflect the changing conditions and technology. Currently, for documentary credit, they are subject to, it's called the Uniform Customs and Practice for Documentary Credit, and the current publication is number 600. Thanks very much, Norman. And yes, on tradefinanceglobal.com, you can find a little bit more information about those rules, the UCP 600 rules, just at a very high level. And Norman, what are the benefits of LCs to buyers? And also, what are the benefits to sellers? For the buyer, really, the main advantage is the certainty that the payment will not be made to the supplier until the dispatch of goods has been evidenced by means of shipping documents. So once that is presented, the bank will receive the documents and if they meet the terms and condition of the credit, then end those documents to the buyer. And the shipping document is really the evidence that actually the beneficiary did send the goods. So for the seller, the main advantage for them is really that they get assurance of settlement soon as they have dispatched the goods and that they have fully complied with the terms and, and condition of the letter of credit. Also, they get to receive payment. It's the convenience of receiving payment at their own bank and their own country. And the payment is not reliant on the buyer's solvency or willingness to pay. That's really important because the undertaking is from the issuing bank, not the buyer. And they have the also access to the expertise locally to complex trade transactions. And they also have the ability for those letters of credit that have, you know, many of them are payable at site, but many of them also have terms, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And it gives a possibility to the beneficiary for pre-shipment finance or discounting of accepted draft secured under the letter of credit. So they can get uh, payment immediately if they comply with the terms of the credit from their local bank. Thanks, Norman. And I think it's really important to consider where that risk lies and the fact that financing really can be done pre-shipment on the water rather than a lot later on in that cycle. Can you potentially try and give me a worked example of how a letter of credit could work in reality? Sure. So I guess if the first step would be the buyer and the will enter into a contract with the seller, right? For the purchase, let's say, as an example, purchase of furniture. So the buyer, under the letter of credit is referred to as the applicant, will request his bank, the issuing bank, to issue a letter of credit on their behalf in favor of the seller, who is also referred to as the beneficiary. So the issuing bank would send the letter of credit via SWIFT, assuming that the beneficiary is in a different country, to our correspondent bank of theirs, also referred to as the advising bank. So the letter of credit itself would include several things. It would include, obviously, the name of the buyer, the seller, the tenor of the letter of credit, whether it is at site or with a term, the name of the advising bank. It would list all the terms and conditions, the description of the goods, all the documents that need to be presented, the latest date of shipment, the period of presentation, and the expiry date. And that would be advised, so the terms of the letter of credit, the letter of credit itself would be advised by the advising bank to the beneficiary. Now, the advising bank, sometimes the beneficiary is more comfortable to have an undertaking from their local bank to make sure that if they do comply with the terms and condition of the letter of credit, that they get paid. So they could request uh, the advising bank 
through the issuing bank to ask the letter of credit to be confirmed. So the advising bank could be nominated to add their confirmation to the undertaking of the issuing bank. So they would take the risk of the issuing bank and then provide that confirmation undertaking to the beneficiary that they do comply and present all the shipping documents and comply with the term and condition. Then the local bank will pay them as confirming bank. Thank you very much. And for our listeners, we've got a diagram up on trofinanceglobal.com in this podcast that explains those moving parts and that very, very good example and case study. Stacey, going back to that furniture examples, why can't a buyer of furniture, say, look at utilizing open account forms of financing, such as receivables or invoice financing, rather than using an LC? They can actually look at uh, utilizing open account forms of financing with the recognition that a transaction between themselves and the buyer and seller would have no bank in between. It could be could appear as a riskier solution. Those who don't know each other particularly well and haven't had a lot of experience working together. However, the trade finance industry has really evolved over the last 15 years, such that financial institutions and other providers are able to step into these transactions between the buyer and the seller and assist buyers with supporting their supply chain and sellers with early payment and liquidity and even access to lower cost funding than they would get from their local finance providers. But currently, the market mostly covers buyers that are large MNCs, very strong ratings, buying from smaller and medium-sized sellers and suppliers, a market is still evolving for the small and medium-sized companies for them to become buyers rather than sellers in these type of transactions. But as I said, it's still evolving. Thank you very much, Stacey. Now we're going to go on to standby letters of credit. And, And Chris, perhaps if I can ask you, what is an SBLC and how does it work? Well, standby letter credit is a secondary means of payment in case the primary means fails. And that means that, say, someone wants to lease a building from someone and um, they're required to post security. So they'll go to their local bank and they'll ask them to issue a standby letter credit on their behalf in favor of their landlord. And their landlord will receive the standby letter credit. And if the person who obtained the letter credit, the lessor, we see, defaulted under their rent payment to them, they would draw under the standby letter credit. They would go into the issuing bank that issued the letter credit and said, make their statement, ABC company failed to pay us when due for rent for February 2021. Please pay us. And the bank that it was presented to, as long as the drawing was in order, meaning that the amount, the expiry date, and the statement was in order, would affect payment to them. So it's a secondary means of payment in case the primary means fails, which in this case was the actual rent payment. Thanks very much. And how are SBLCs different from bank guarantees? Well, here in the United States, we issue standby letters of credit. Overseas, there are more guarantees issued. Standby is a secondary means of payment, but it's different from a bank guarantee because a bank guarantee is concerned with financial performance. The standbys can be done for anything both financial, non-financial performance. And uh, it's more, the guarantee is used more for financial. 
in this circumstance. Here, we issue a lot of letters of credit that's subject to ISP 98, which is also an ICC publication. And this governs and is specifically written for standby letters of credit. If my Paris office was going to issue something overseas in the form of a guarantee, it would be subject to the URDG, which is the Uniform Rules for Demand Guarantees, ICC 758. And that would govern the guarantees they issued, or it could be issued simply subject to country law whether it be France, whether it be India, wherever it may be. But here in the United States, we were going to issue subject to the rules as defined in ISP 98, or we could do UCP 600, or we could issue a subject to Uniform Commercial Code in the various states. But it definitely is much more diverse than a bank guarantee, and um, you can do it for anything. Fascinating. So what are the main types of SBLCs and which are most commonly used, perhaps from a U.S. perspective today? From a U.S. perspective, well, you do a lot of financial. You do a lot of lease letters credit, depending on the bank. If your bank has a lot of branches, then you're involved in a lot of lease letters credits. Your clients will come in for their rent items. We do bid bonds. You do performance bonds. You do LCs to back up environmental situations. Say a company has taken over a piece of land that needs then to be cleaned up prior to being returned. And so they have postal letter credit to guarantee that they'll clean it up. If they did strip mining on it, that they'll replace back the dirt, they'll replace back the soil. They'll do everything they need to do in order to bring it back to the situation it was originally. We do letters of credit that uh, cover insurance. There's an awful lot of letters of credit in the United States these days that are issued to the main insurance companies out there, covering workers, comp, whatever type of insurance is necessary, they cover it. And this is the collateral for it. Uh, we issue LCs to Chicago Merck, backing up obviously trades and on the Chicago Merck, the positions of various companies. You issue LCs that back up solar. We just had industry issues with the uh, problems down in Texas with ERCOT. And there are LCs that were issued to ERCOT backing up client responsibilities all around the United States. And all of the clients ended up coming into the banks and having their letters of credit increased or decreased because of the fact that the power failed in Texas. And as a result, they had to increase their uh, collateral postings with ERCOT. A very prime example at this moment of clients in that type of industry that needed to post things at that moment. You could issue a standby letter of credit for anything. And trust me, I have. Can I ask one question? What's the craziest SBLC you've issued? The craziest SBLC I issued was a number of years ago. I issued an LC that was asking the wife to stay in the marriage. The husband issued it in favor of his wife to induce her to stay married to him. I never got the background on that, but it was a large letter of credit. Give it was a crazy SBLC. Very, very diverse instrument. I guess the BAFT SBLC and Guarantee Committee doesn't necessarily focus exactly on that. But what do the two committees focus on? And and also, what are the priorities for these committees in 2021? Well, it's actually one committee because we're North America. And in Canada, there's a lot of guarantees that are issued. So we're basically the North American Standby Letter Credit and Guarantee Committee. So we cover all of that. Well, for BAFT, on an ongoing basis, we are involved, as the commercial side is, in education. And we will help support and the various workshops that are done around the United States. And actually, our virtual workshops have gone worldwide with people from Africa, from Trinidad, calling in on the uh, workshop that we did in February. We focus on that. We try to educate 
the members of other banks, and as well as clients, because there were a number of clients that came into that workshop. It was a fascinating workshop. We also tried to answer the expert questions. The same as Norman, the banks will come in, or sometimes even clients will come in and ask a question of the committee, and we will meet on our monthly meetings because we meet monthly, and we'll give a reply to that ask the expert question. Sometimes members of the committee will send something into the committee saying, this is something new. I've never seen this. Has anyone else seen this? What do we do? What do you think about it? So that we can all put our heads together and see what the best way to approach something is. Two years ago, we issued the white paper, which was on automatic extensions. A big part of the U.S. market on the letters of credit is issuing LCs that contain automatic extension clauses, meaning that they will extend yearly unless you're notified to the contrary. There have been more lawsuits on standby letters of credit with automatic extensions, I believe, than any other specific topic here in the United States. And we put out a white paper to basically say, this is what you should do. This is what we recommend that you do. This is what you really shouldn't do. And this is the risks you're going to take if you do that. And it was a couple of years in the work to do that. Currently, we're looking at taking a look at the insurance industry and trying to get our hands around that and work with insurance companies to try to get their language, which can be a little odd at times, to be more along the lines of what the industry is issuing and what an automatic extension clause should state and what it should be subject to and what their issues are with the kind of wording that they're using. We've also been working with various member banks on due to the pandemic. A lot of people have had a lot of questions as to how to move forward in the pandemic. And part of our committee's purpose has been to help and support and be there. So many of us have gone to digital signatures. You would never have thought a year ago that you would be signing everything digitally. But with people working from home, it's the easiest way to do things. And therefore, you create digital signatures. So we've been very active the past year. We do meet monthly. We have a very active group and everyone continues to give their input into the committee. So it's fun working with the group. Thank you very much. I mean, what a reason to join BAFT, a very proactive group really promoting education and expertise and and also adding huge value to the ever-changing evolution of less of credit. Stacey, what, what stage are we at when it comes to digitizing less of credit? What's being done in the market? Following the COVID pandemic, it's shed a very strong light on the reason for traditional trade business to digitize. So moving physical paper documents was a huge challenge. Shipping companies were having a hard time moving bills of lading. Documents, as we heard earlier with commercial letters of credit, there's a lot of documentary exchanges. Offices were closed and unable to accept documents because of shutdowns. So the trade industry made a great leap forward in 2020 to accelerate the move to digitizing LCs. Chris talked about the e-signatures, but there's still some challenges that exist that industry associations like BAF, the ICC and ITFA are working on to resolve. Some examples of the challenges include bills of lading and negotiable instruments. In many countries, you still need to have a paper form with a wet signature, or you have to have a piece of paper to go to the customs to retrieve your goods from off the ship. So there are still challenges, and the industry is working very, very hard 
globally on addressing those and regionally, I should say as well. There are other challenges around interoperability with technology across various trade stakeholders, standards and laws, and how best to address the issues. But we're moving and we're working hard on it. We have a group that's putting out a paper on digitization, which should be out very, very shortly, which identifies all the work that's been done in 2020 uh, for digitization to enable the traditional trade business to digitize. That was done with BATH, the ICC, ITFA, DSA, and others. So it should come out soon. Thank you very much, Stacey, and really looking forward to reading that paper when it comes out. And we really commend the great work coming out of the Standby Letter of Credit and Guarantee Committee and also the Commercial Letters of Credit Committee. Thank you very much. Stacey, Chris, Normand, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Trade Finance Talks. Speak soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.